Welcome to 353rd, a bi-weekly podcast discussing the impact of the Internet on business. Today is Wednesday, August 14th. This is episode number 48. I'm one of your hosts, Anders Brownworth. And I am your other host, Scott Barstow. Scott, I figured uh, we would talk about Wi-Fi. This is a topic that is near and dear to our collective hearts. It is, and it's something, it's the thing that... uh, I would argue over the next three to five years will be the defining technology in terms of how people get to the internet. Wow. How about that? that? That's, that's, that's compelling. I like it. So we've been seeing some interesting changes on the horizon. The reason I bring up the whole, uh, uh, near and dear to our hearts of, uh, uh, Wi-Fi is of course, because we both work for a company called bandwidth.com, which has a Wi-Fi slash cellular, hybrid cell phone provider called Republic Wireless. Uh, so we are obviously very invested in Wi-Fi, but not to diminish your claim that Wi-Fi is the most important technology since uh, the slicing of bread. Um, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we, uh, we, we, we alighted upon this very interesting protocol spec called 802.11u or HS2, Hotspot 2, Wi-Fi Certified Passpoint, Interworking. There are many names for it. Do you want to uh, give us a quick uh, summary of what that is? Yeah, I think the so there's a couple of fundamental things about Hotspot Two that are very very important, uh, and this is a this is really an early the technology has been out or the spec has been defined for a year or two now, I believe. But really, the manufacturers' implementations of this protocol uh, are just now starting to happen. So you've got companies like Ruckus Wireless and Cisco. Starting to put Hotspot 2.0, pass with the Passpoint protocol in their access points, and what's what's different about Hotspot 2 as opposed to the hotspots you're used to now? So the experience today is if you walk into a Starbucks, and Starbucks has you know AT and T or I guess now it will be Level Three uh, <laughs> yeah. access points in their in their shops, and that's got a particular SSID or network ID. It gets broadcast. Your machine says, "Hey, I've got this network available." And if you've already been, if you're already authenticated to that network, the machine will connect for you and just kind of log you on to the hotspot. So, 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 so when I normally go to Starbucks, I pop up my phone. I have Wi-Fi on. I see a bunch of lists. It says Starbucks up at the top. I've been there before. It automatically connects. No big deal, right? No, That's no right. difference for me. That's right. So. Let's say the just for grins and giggles. Let's say you are a and uh, before they move to level three. Let's say you are an AT and T subscriber. Yeah, and so I, I might log in with my AT and T credentials to that hotspot, and off I go. Yeah, I'm sitting in the airport. AT and T is one of the credential providers. I log in. I'm often running on that hotspot. Got it. Now, if I walk down the street and I walk into uh, a McDonald's, and <clears throat> Right now, if McDonald's is not peering with AT&T on the, on the authentication side and they're not advertising, hey, you can use your AT&T credentials here, I've got no way to know or no way to authenticate. So now I've got to create another set of credentials for the McDonald's Wi-Fi hotspot. Right. And so I, I, now I, you get into this classic problem. I've got to manage all of these credentials. So I've got a Boing Boing credential. I've got an AT&T credential. I've got a Time Warner credential. It's like... Anywhere I go, 
I want to make sure I can get on so I have all these services. And, and, and as you described it, in each of those instances, when I walk into the location, my device has to make me aware of what, what hotspots are available, and then I've got to pick it, and then I go. Yeah. What's significantly different about Hotspot 2 is if I've got those AT&T credentials and I walk into that Starbucks and Starbucks, what will happen when Hotspot 2.0 is that the access point will say, I accept uh, AT&T credentials, Google credentials, and Facebook credentials. Nice. So the access point will broadcast that yeah. uh, to the device. So this is all happening while the device is in your pocket. Yeah. You're not having to look at your screen. and That's key. Uh, that's absolutely key. So the device says, oh, I've got, let's say on my phone, I've already configured you know, my Facebook credentials and my Google credentials, and I, and I want to use uh, the Google credentials as my preference. So I've configured this on my phone. And so my, my device responds, again, without me ever touching it, my device responds and says, hey, I, know, I can talk Google as well. Here's my Google credentials. Uh, on the, and then the access point passes that off, makes sure that your credentials are still valid, yeah. comes back and says, you've got access Bam. without me ever touching the device. So it's a device access point to device negotiation without, a, without human intervention, which is significant in that, first of all, you can support multiple credentials like I described. You can have preferences yeah. and all of those kinds of things. But also, I don't have to manage all of those credentials and pick them and all of that mess that you get into when you're negotiating between different hotspots uh, like you do today. And the same is true if I walk down the street to McDonald's and the hotspot at McDonald's, regardless of what the network ID is or anything else, all the access point has to do is say, here's what I accept. Do you have any of those? Yeah. And then if the answer is yes, you're on. Right. And you don't so, have to worry about which one of the – maybe McDonald's only accepts AT&T. Sure. They don't accept Google and Facebook, but they and, do accept AT&T. And they just say, here's – oh, AT&T, here's my credentials. Here you go. And I've, I've never seen this SSID before. I That's walk right. in. I, I'm, I'm driving down the toll road. I, I go into one of those uh, stops on the side of the road. Never been there before. My phone in my pocket – notes that some some store has Wi-Fi that actually has uh, HS2O, uh, allows me to log in automatically. I've never seen this guy before, and I'll never see him again. I'm connected. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And the other thing that I think is really important is that right now, when you're authenticating on a hotspot, the the authentication process is ripe for you know, traffic sniffing, and it's got all sorts of security problems. Yeah. So you're talking about you're talking about doing the connection initially. You you can sniff the packets that that happen and somehow surmise or guess the key. That's right. Yeah. And so you'll have guys that are just sitting in the hotspots, just sniffing traffic, yeah. and trying to find credentials and all that sort of thing. What's What's also unique about Hotspot Two is that all of that negotiation happens. Uh, in an encrypted fashion with public-private key. Right, and, and it happens in such a way that 
it is not something that's burned into the hardware that can eventually easily be overtaken. It's, it's something that gets defined on the software layer, sort of happens on a layer above, uh, and can be strengthened and swapped out at, at will. That's right. And, you, and as we know, the, the security, is, uh, is, that's an ever-changing landscape. Ever-evolving, absolutely. Yep. And so I think what will happen is that as, as this gets better and better, the access points will just roll better security into the access point, and then yeah. it will emerge on the devices and all of that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, just the typical kind of evolutionary path. But I think what, what really makes this interesting for us in particular is that we've got this, you know, we, as you said at the top, we work for this company that has a, what is primarily a Wi-Fi device for making voice calls and sending texts and all of that sort of thing. And I think the, what you haven't had up until now is what you do get on, on, on the cellular networks, which is effectively, I can go from tower to tower without ever dropping a call. Right. You so roam. Blowing down the road, I'm just, Oh, I'm done. You know, I got out of range of that one. Now I pick up the next one. Yeah, so this and is similar to that. It is similar to that. For, for Wi-Fi. Yep. And I think the, what's, what's really interesting, if you think about you live in Boston or Cambridge, just think about being in Harvard Square and you know, being on your phone or walking down the street and you've got some conversation happening on your device. Yeah. And I can go, if all of those hotspots in Harvard Square, let's say, were hotspot 2.0 enabled, I would just keep moving from one to the next to the next, as long as they all supported the same credentials. Right, which in, in the case of Republic does two interesting things. Of course, you can, you can keep your call up uh, over Wi-Fi, which is, which is kind of nice, but uh, you, you gain the significant quality increase when you talk over Wi-Fi, because there is a significant quality increase on Wi-Fi than, than talking over the, uh, the cellular network. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you're able to keep that. And of course, uh, it, it's more efficient. It's a more efficient use of spectrum. If you think about it, you know, when, when you're walking around with your traditional cell phone, I mean, the tower may be, you know, miles away. So your phone in your pocket or against your face and you're talking or as you're texting or whatever, it's communicating with a tower that is miles away instead of using the access point that might be right, you know, I've got one probably about five feet from me right now. Yep. So why, why would I have to go to a public tower somewhere far away if I could use a very, very low power and go to the, the access point that's right next to me? I mean, it may be running on the same frequency that something is, uh, you know, a mile away, but it doesn't matter because they run at such low power. So, so the, the, the hidden benefit there, just to kind of round out the, the discussion is that because your phone isn't transmitting for many miles, but rather many feet, uh, it, it the battery is going to last a lot, a lot longer. Um, yeah, that, that's a nice little side effect. It is. So what, uh, one of the things that's, that's always interesting is that the device support for new protocols always lags, obviously, because uh, manufacturers have to do the work to implement it and then burn it in and test it and all of that sort of thing. So talk a little bit about what handsets uh, are going to be able to support Hotspot 2 in the, uh, as, it, as it emerges. So Hotspot 2, the, the uh, thing here, it, it is, as you mentioned, very new, and uh, a number of 
chipsets are compatible with it, but would need driver updates in order to support the ability to make these queries before you connect to the access point. So there's there's just some capabilities that you need that aren't quite inherent in, in every single chipset. But importantly, there are two major types of phones that support this sort of out of the box. Uh, one would be the Samsung phones, and the other would be with the update to iOS 7, all the iOS phones. Right. Uh, those you cannot ignore. That that set right there, you cannot ignore. So this yeah. is this is coming like a freight train, I feel like. Yeah, and you so you've got the Galaxy 4 which shipped with it. Yep. And the uh and the, the S4 three is, sorry. And the 3 is the 3 will support yeah. it, right? Yeah. That's We're right. Just going to yeah. reburn it. Yeah, you or reflash. Yeah, it's just a driver update that it needs, and then it would, uh, and then it would support this. And of course, uh, with with Android, you can get uh, the Android Open Source Project. You can get uh, the newer version of WPA Supplicant, which uh, of course supports interworking. Uh, there, there are commands that you can do that that uh, turn it on and and search for creds, and it's kind of really interesting when you do it because. Uh, you you run the command and the CLI for for uh, creds and it goes out and it finds the creds, uh, it drops them in uh, into a temporary place. So if you rebooted the phone, it wouldn't they wouldn't still be there, uh, but they look to the rest of the wireless system like a standard cred. It's as if you had logged into that uh, that base station before and and you go you know you're just going right back to it even though you've never seen it before so it it does you know it does kind of mesh very neatly with what already exists uh so it's really just a an addition there kind of a temporary credibility uh in the existing WPA supplicant it's pretty neat interesting what do you how do you feel like uh how do you feel like hotspot 2.0 or how does why does it matter more than kind of this small cell movement that we've got happening well the the very uh, simple way to say that is uh, you have you look at the technology the cell the cell I think this is a point you made before and it moves towards uh, you know the first thing is people are just talking on cells and that's great and then suddenly they realized oh as I'm talking on my cell I'm moving so I go to another cell and so oh well you have to support roaming and that's sort of a you know sort of the next step well a cell is like Wi-Fi so a cell BTS. Uh, like an access point needs to support roaming, so this is a this is a way to to support roaming in Wi-Fi. So I, I look at what's happening in the unlicensed spectrum arena, particularly Wi-Fi, uh, and, and it seems to to match relatively closely what happened in the uh, the the cellular range. Now the 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 difference is, is something that we haven't really uh, talked about, and there are implications for this is that typically with uh, cell, you had a billing relationship that moved from, you know, roamed from network to network. There were actually billing relationships sort of behind the scenes. And what this is essentially allowing is a billing relationship. And, and one cynical way to think about that is suddenly the cell carriers have a way to extend their billing relationships to unlicensed spectrum. Mm-hmm. But the Absolutely. other... Right. But the other way to think about it, and it's very much the Republic Wireless way to think about it, 
is, hey, we can deliver service for well under the, the, the cheapest service you could ever do on cell because the technology is just so much cheaper and because some of the responsibility gets taken over by, by the customer. You run your own, you have your own internet, you have your own Wi-Fi hotspot, you are essentially taking over the last mile of service, which the cellular company generally does with a public cell where you're doing it with your private Wi-Fi hotspot. But now, if these hotspots are available everywhere, and now you can roam everywhere. Well, the whole thing is a lot cheaper. So then Republic Wireless, of course, passes that on to the end customer, that savings on to the end customer. I think it's $19 a month uh, for, with, for, with no contract, which is kind of a surprising thing in the United States. Uh, that's a disruptively low price. And the only way Republic is able to do that is because we take the savings that you get from doing things much more efficiently over unlicensed uh, spectrum, over very low powers, and uh, allow that to just kind of go out in the world. So so I think Hotspot 2.0 is, is actually a huge thing. Um, yeah, I think what's going to be – what will be really interesting is to watch the cable companies – as so, you already have companies like Time Warner blanketing uh, cities like Los Angeles with, you know, hotspots on every corner. Uh, yeah. You know, literally blanketing downtown Los Angeles, and you know, and Greater Los Angeles with hotspots. So think of the ramifications if I rarely leave Los Angeles and I'm always in Time Warner, if I'm uh, always near a Time Warner hotspot, then all of a sudden my AT&T phone or my Verizon phone becomes a lot less valuable. And now I might have a Time Warner phone that I carry around with me instead of, you know, having this plan with some other provider. So I, as a Time Warner subscriber, might, in, in addition to getting my home phone, my cable, and my internet, I might also have a mobile, a Time Warner mobile it, handset. It, yeah, it, it allows the, uh, it can allow Cable companies in particular, but any other company that's deploying, you can look at uh, uh, myriad other companies that deploy Wi-Fi networks, uh, TowerStream, for example. Yep. Um, it enables these players to look, as far as the end consumer is concerned, a lot more like a traditional cellular carrier. The only difference being if you're blowing down the highway at 70 miles an hour, and you're out in the middle of nowhere, chances are your only access option practically are the, are the public cellular networks. That's but, right. But what that's doing is essentially taking the public cellular networks and using them as a backup, not as your, your primary, because most of the time you're going to be at home, you're going to be going through Wi-Fi, you're done. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's right. I think that, that's how I think about it, is that it's, yeah. your cellular service becomes a backup and and that's that's the big change that's coming. And I think Hotspot too provides that opportunity, and it also provides opportunities for new uh, service providers on the back end to provide new and interesting services. So, for instance, one of the one of the protocols that's a part of this whole Hotspot two protocol suite, I guess, is there's a new advertising protocol that's going to be a part of it called right. MSAP. Yeah. And it's a push protocol. So now if I'm on, if I'm logged into a Time Warner hotspot, all of a sudden Time Warner obviously knows who I am. Yeah. And, you know, they know where I've been. 
because every every time I log in with my Time Warner credentials, they know where I am, regardless if it's a Time Warner hotspot or not. And I can now Time Warner now has a channel through which to push content to me, whether it's an ad or you know new services they're offering. So I'm sitting in my I'm sitting with my phone, and all of a sudden my phone gets a bloop bloop. You know, did you know you could get a Time Warner handset for nineteen dollars a month or whatever it is? So, so are you saying this is a good or a bad thing? Well, you know my feelings on intrusive <laughs> I do. push protocols. So I, it's, I think it's from a business perspective, it's a good thing. From a personal perspective, I'm sure it will be annoying. Well, it can. It, the, I think the thing is, it can be abused, and right. uh, generally, uh, uh, you know, companies. Are are you know they 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 are going to dance if you if you look at the Facebook strategy they're going to dance on the the side of uh, making the mistake and getting you know getting caught for it later getting pushed back later uh, so they're going to push the bar and and then and then people are going to there's going to be a little bit of an outcry and then they're going to roll back a little bit from it and be all set rather than asking permission first so I I, I think it does open some some interesting uh, questions but. It does all also open some interesting possibilities, a.k.a. a phone that you don't pay for, but rather is subsidized by an advertising. That's right. Model. I think that's the key part of this advertising yeah. protocol is that I can submit myself to advertise, you know, to the to the whims of the advertisers in return for free service. So in order to do that, you've got to have a much more effective advertising medium than copying what was at one point classified ads in the newspaper and were moved forward to the, the desktop web browser environment in a 468 by 60 ad and then copied yet again into the mobile arena where there's this tiny little mobile ad that nobody reads. It's got to be much more, you know, interactive. I think so. And it's probably, it probably takes on, I think advertising takes on the feel of, you know how if you're listening to a podcast or a radio show, not this podcast because we don't advertise on this podcast yet. <laughs> Even though we're but, talking about Republic, I will that's note right. that. That's right. But I think it becomes more like uh, advertising becomes more like something that just feels more natural. So I'm listening to a radio show and they start talking about Omaha steaks. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, I ate an Omaha steak last night and it was so good and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, two minutes later they say, oh, go to omahasteaks.com and – Sure. You, know, you can, you know, and and use the keyword, you know, Anders, and you get this great deal. So I think that feels more, it feels less intrusive to me if it's just kind of a part of the conversation, but it's a very discreet uh, part of the conversation. I don't. It's for some reason I like that brand of advertising better than, uh, better than just the blast in your face. Uh, uh, yeah, know. the blunderbuss approach. Yeah, well, yeah, this exactly. is yeah, this harkens back to a an era of uh, you remember Walter Cronkite sitting there with his uh, tube of Crest toothpaste, saying this yeah. fifteen minutes of of the news show is brought to you by by the fine folks at Crest. You yeah. know, brush every evening or whatever he said. It, it it's it's harkening back to that, but but in a sense, that's still that's still a it, it's much more a soft sell. But that's still a a blunderbuss approach in a way, 
there is the possibility, certainly with location and uh, with just knowing what app you're running on the phone and what you happen to be doing and all of that, that this could be much less of a blunderbuss approach because I'm likely not going to react to I mean, the biggest, the most egregious thing in my mind are, are car commercials. I'm not buying a car right now. If I see a car on TV with an ad, I'm probably not going to buy them. I'm going to decide not to buy that car because they wasted precious minutes of my time many, <laughs> many, many times over. So I, it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. But with better targeting, I think that becomes a total different thing. You can remember back in the day when uh, Google first launched their advertising thing, and you're like, you've you've gone from a, a situation where you had uh, to use your TiVo to skip ads to a situation where, look, if you're interested in, you know, I don't know, I need to get another potted plant for my place, I'm going to go to Google and type it in, uh, go to the maps and type in like potted plants and see all the places that are nearby that can, you know, sell me a potted plant and maybe there's a deal or something. Uh, a whole different thing. I'm essentially going to the uh, the interface to be to be advertised to because I know it won't waste my time. And right. I think the same jump has to happen in the mobile world, and it has not yet. I nope. mean, think about all the capabilities a mobile has. There's there's location. There's accelerometers. There's a beautiful screen, touch screen. There's 3D. There's a video. How how in the world? Are we relying on a tiny little rectangle that you have to squint to read as the primary advertiser? What? What? It doesn't make yeah, any it's sense still, at all. It's still just a banner ad. It's it's yeah, like it's the crazy. 1995 banner ad. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, and which which came right from the classified ads in the newspaper. It's the same yep. exact method. Yep. I mean, you know, one one idea there would be: well, how come they don't make a uh, a uh, like a kit that creative people can use that allows them to build an interface that uh, that gets right at what an advertiser is trying to get across. So let's say you're a Toyota and you want to do brand awareness for the, the new, I don't know, Yaris, who knows, right? Some car. So you show them a whole, you know, a couple of cars and say, click the Yaris. And if you Mm -hmm. don't know what the Yaris is, you educate yourself by watching the stupid video or, or looking at some specs or whatever it is. Therefore, you're not allowed to get, you know, with the intent that you're, you have to get through the ad before you can play the game, let's just say on the mobile, right? So prove to the advertiser that the, consumer got the message not glanced at the ad and and wasted the time no they got the message they understood it's an interaction it's a proof that your point has made it into their heads how come everybody how come all mobile advertising is not like that i don't know it's been they don't listen to the show. i guess so that's they the have, reason that's what it is yeah so, so everybody needs to tell them about it <laughs> that's right <laughs> anyway I think that's all the time we've got for this show. We will be back in two weeks, and we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening.